Welcome to the Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive, where you have access to all the amazing insights Dr. Finlayson Fife has shared through hundreds of interviews. I'm Mackenzie, Dr. Finlayson Fife's assistant, and we are so glad that you're here. This podcast was originally produced and published by Barbara Zabawa of the Lemon Spark Podcast and is entitled Religion and Financial Struggle Carved a Satisfying Professional Career for Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Thank you so much for being part of the Lemon Spark Podcast. I am just thrilled that you're here. Everyone, Dr. Finlayson Fife is a coach and therapist, and her main clientele are those in the Latter-day Saints community, and she focuses on relationships and sexuality. She also has online instruction and podcast. So she is what we call a hybrid professional. <laughs> and welcome, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. So happy that you're here. Please tell us what lemons in your life led you to where you are now. Well, it's a great question. I think that, you know, when I was growing up, I was, you know, part of the LDS community. I mean, I still am, but I grew up and it, there were so many wonderful things about it. Actually, I, I grew up in Vermont. There weren't very many of us. It was a very tight-knit and loving community. But I also was well aware of the kind of gender discrepancy. And that even though I could feel and know that as a woman, I was valued and beloved in that community, that I had sort of a second-class status as a woman and that there was a lot being a patriarchal church more so at the time than it is now because it's evolved in a lot of ways but there was this you know male leadership and women are there to kind of support it and while I valued it and saw that I had a meaningful place within it I was very aware I think just as a young social scientist in my bones I was very aware of the kind of what I experienced as some sort of grief and loss of self and kind of suffering that a lot of the women were experiencing within the community. And so I had ambivalence about it. And I think because I cared about the idea of marriage and people being happily married, and I cared about my future happiness, I was trying to figure out how to make sense of this discrepancy, how to make sense of the conflicting messages of both you matter, but maybe not as much as men. Learning at, you know, when I was about 13 years old, you know, feeling like there was too much, I don't know if I had that language for it at the time, but like a lot of focus on my desirability and getting married in the future. At the same time, learning about the history in our church of polygamy and kind of trying to reconcile kind of the idea of what it was to be a woman and and having my own disbelief that was stressful for me because it was I wanted to belong to my group and I felt that a lot of the principles were valuable to my life but I was also wrestling with my own discrepant beliefs and feelings and that felt hard for me at the time it felt like there was something wrong with me I saw it as a curse, not a blessing, to have this kind of awareness that others seem to be either accepting of or blind to. And yet it was a kind of driver in my life to sort it out and to be a solution in a sense, or to, to be able to come up with a way of making sense of some of our strengths and limitations as a community. And then I, I think there was one other lemon that played a big role is that my family was relatively poor. Well, I should say there were eight children. My father was a professor, so we weren't 
working class per se, but there was a lot. My mom was a homemaker and there was just not any sense of abundance. And so there were a lot of things that I wanted and I didn't have. And like I wanted contact lenses because in my community, being desirable was a high important thing. I had like Coke bottle glasses and no clothing. And and so it was this sense of wanting things that I couldn't get. And so that drove me to be kind of innovative at a pretty young age of, you know, going out when I was 12, I really wanted contact lenses and it cost like 300 and something dollars at the time. And, And so I went to the library and I found a book on how to make money as a, you know, as a young person. Mm-hmm. And so I went out and started, one of the ideas in the book was to make crafts and sell them. And it was about Christmas time. And so I made Christmas stockings. And I just, I kind of already liked doing that, but I made all these things and sold them door to door. And then the next year I did gingerbread houses and sold those door to door and took them to bazaars. And I made pretty decent money for a little kid. Wow. <laughs> and I was able to get my contact lenses. But, you know, beyond that, I think I started learning this experience that you could innovate or you could, you could solve things with some willingness to kind of step out into the uncertainty. You could you could create a better reality for yourself. And I, I'm very grateful that I learned that because I think that was also very much a part of what I do now. Well, that's pretty impressive. I mean, at such a young age, you you had this ability to see that you could kind of create your own destiny. You you may not have liked mm-hmm. your circumstances. And I and so what I hear from you are your the lemons in your life really were an internal conflict between the community that you were living in, the LDS community, and some questioning and consternation about you know, your role in that community, and then also your financial circumstances Mm -hmm. as a young person. And in both of those situations, what I see is you recognizing that, okay, this is, I don't like this situation, but I have the power to do something about it. I'm looking for a way to do something about it, to resolve Mm -hmm. the conflict, to resolve the problem that I Mm -hmm. see. And you took that initiative. And so I think that's really inspirational. And, you know, I hope the listeners can maybe learn a few things from you about one's ability to Mm -hmm. get out of a situation that really Mm -hmm. inspiring to me. Thank you. But one of the things that you did from the situation with your internal conflict for the with the LDS community is you went on to get a PhD and you specialized in relationships. Yes. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. In fact, that was also its own challenge for me because the kind of working theory at the time is that if you're the right kind of woman, you wouldn't pursue you wouldn't pursue beyond the opportunity to get married. And I was quite afraid of being fully dependent on another person without sort of that economic power to not get married if needed or to leave a marriage if needed. But I think also I really wanted to make a difference and I felt like that was the way. But it did mean kind of tolerating the invalidation of people that mattered to me. Not my family so much. They they really were pretty laissez-faire sometimes in their parenting style and and so on. But I think other people that I respected and cared about, I felt like I was going against the rules. And so that was also an important process, which is that I valued something enough and it mattered enough to me that I was willing to pursue it, knowing that others thought it was 
not the right path. Mm. And that wasn't comfortable for me because I'm somebody who likes people to feel good about me. And, (laughs) you know, I'm a kind of a compliant person stylistically, generally. But I think that I still, it mattered enough to sort of be true to something, a pull within myself. And so I just kind of just would take a step at a time. And every time I would move in that direction, it felt more and more right to me. And so I did do some, you know, as an undergrad at Brigham Young University, I studied women's studies, which was a new a new focus of study there. And then when I went on to get my master's and PhD, I just did a lot of focus on marriage relationships and sexuality. And so I wrote my dissertation on, on LDS women and sexual agency within a patriarchal culture. And so kind of who were the women that were thriving within the culture and what were the meanings they had taken from their faith tradition and what were the women that were suffering more and how had they made sense of some of these meanings within the group. So that became, you know, again, it was coming out of my questions and my desire to solve things for the community I feel very invested in and care very much about. And so that kind of desire to make a positive difference for myself and others was really the driver. And in some ways, responding to just a pull that was there for me that I just kind of kept walking towards or the more I did, the clearer it got for me. And it sounds like though, on the way towards that pull, you perhaps lost favor with others in your community, some of them maybe you respected. And has that changed? I mean, now that many years later, after you've established yourself, have those things come around? um, Maybe. I don't necessarily know because I think some of them were earlier relationships that I haven't necessarily kept a lot of contact with. And, you know, nobody was mean about it, but some of the guys I was dating at Brigham Young University thought it was a little faithless of me to not fall in love with them and and instead go on and get a PhD or whatever. <laughs> so there was some self-serving judgment in it, I suppose. And I think there's people who f- perhaps felt like my choices were an invalidation of their choices to not pursue higher education or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's possible, but I think the more confidence that I've had in my own path, the less I've worried about how other people feel about it. And I think mostly what I've gotten from people and I feel very grateful for is a lot of gratitude from people about the work that's been helpful for them. And that's worth everything to me. Yeah. Like it's actually helping other people find their way, get more clarity in their life, be able to respond to their own gifts, to create strength in their own relationships. So I think in a way you're right. I mean, I think the more that I'm just comfortable with myself, the more that people don't really need to judge it or aren't really, I don't know if they are judging it, I'm not paying much attention. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that's an important lesson there because Uh I think when people are in a place of uncertainty, you know, maybe they're struggling with their own lemon right now, and they maybe see a path forward, but they're a little afraid. And when you're in that time of your life, where you're thinking of taking a different direction, there are going to be critics, there are going to be people people who are going to make you feel like you're making the wrong choice. And maybe it's not the safe choice or something along those lines. Yes. And you're very vulnerable in, the, in those moments. And so hearing from someone like you who who also mm-hmm. faced that criticism, that doubt, mm-hmm. um, and you still moved forward. And it, as you kept going in that direction, you felt even more mm-hmm. and more confident in your decision. Mm-hmm. That for people to to hear that is, I think, really important because I think that happens for a lot of us who end up taking those risks against other people's yeah, better, right. better judgment. But for me as well, I mean, as I move, continue moving down that path, the criticism may still be there. I don't know. I'm paying like you paying less attention to it because I feel fulfilled. So yes, and that's really what matters at the end of the day. 
Yeah. And something I say to clients sometimes too around this is like if your spouse or your parent or somebody that you love it has an issue with your behavior, it's certainly worth looking at what they're saying because you don't want to be headlong into something that you haven't thought through thoroughly. But you want to be thinking about what's motivating the criticism, what's motivating the critique. Is it their own insecurity, their own desire for your life to reinforce their life? Is it or is it that they really see something you you maybe need to look at and they really are standing up for your well-being? So looking at motivation matters, yes. but you don't want to just let the invalidation of it in and of itself be the determinant of not doing something. Yes, absolutely. So you mentioned that you're a coach and a, and a therapist. And so you probably encounter a lot of client situations where maybe they're in a lemon situation. And you know the whole point of this podcast is to talk about the sparks that can come from those lemons and mm-hmm. celebrate those. So can you share in general terms, some situations that you find inspirational for our audience to hear? Sure. Well, I think there's two different kinds of sparks to maybe think about because there's the more normal, although extremely valuable, which is that just whenever we're living our lives at whatever level we're living them, there's strengths in those capacities and where we're doing things and there's liabilities. And a lot of times the liabilities expose themselves through crisis or through something falling apart, a pattern that we're accustomed to breaking down. And as painful as that is, as disorienting as that is, you know, a marriage goes into crisis, uh, you know, you have a, chi- a child who you're starting to move into some conflict with, you get fired for the second time, and you start thinking, wait a minute, like, that mm-hmm. that th- those can be crises that can if you'll let them. And this is what I'm always encouraging people to do is, what can I learn from this about myself, about my life, about my relationships, because in that rubble, (laughs) there's always like lessons to be learned. There's always strength to be taken from it. I think if we're too busy pathologizing the fact of it, which is a very easy thing to do or to feel like there's something defective about us or something, rather than we're just in the normal reality of living life. And if we can kind of accept that that is the process, then we have a much higher chance of taking what's there. And in that crisis, that break of a pattern, you're able to actually develop new skill, new capacity in a way that's much harder to develop without the crisis. I mean, it's one thing if we're like, oh, I really should do X, Y, or Z better, but I have a a relative who really had a health crisis. And she'd maybe for years been thinking, I need to change this pattern and this pattern. But when it really came down to, oh my goodness, like I actually have a condition that could really take my life or make it much shorter, that was the crisis in Mm -hmm. which a whole new skill set and habitual pattern emerged in terms of how she relates to her health and her body and herself. So it's like, you know, you never want the crisis to wish it on anybody, but often it's exactly what allows you to grow into somebody stronger and more able. So there's that. And then in my own family, my husband's brother and his daughter was born with hydrocephalus, family where she was had basically had very limited medical technology in a sense to address the hydrocephalus and so she went through surgery after surgery through her relatively short life had a lot of suffering and pain and and she died at 25 and was very beloved by her family and very hard on all of them to say goodbye to her but her two brothers have really dedicated themselves to making a difference within the field of you know hydrocephalus treatment 
And so the older brother has, well, all of them together, but I think he spearheaded it, is fundraising every year. And they kind of do the lion's share of fundraising for this condition. And then the younger brother is a medical researcher who's devoted his career to coming up with treatments, kind of innovative ways to develop treatments for rare conditions so that even these issues that really deserve attention but often can't get the fundraising, he's come up with innovative ways to fund research towards those issues. And so it's just, it's an act of love. And of course, they would trade all of those things to have her back, of course. But, you know, you see the way that, that their efforts are to alleviate. It's a its a tribute to her life, but also a way to alleviate suffering for others. And so there's a, a beauty in it, even as painful as it is. Yeah, that is the essence of a you know a lemon spark story is taking that lemon and sparks of an action that you wouldn't have done otherwise so in that case you know fundraising for rare conditions you know i'm sure that if their sister hadn't had that experience that they wouldn't be doing what they're doing and benefiting likely many many people people right now and i would just say you know that a lot of my clients i mean there's so many stories really but even just through COVID, I mean, it's been a horrible year for so many people. And a lot of times industries, I have clients that are part of industries that have really kind of fallen apart. And the difficulty of having things that you thought were going to work out, not work out is just disorganizing and uncomfortable. But I'm watching several of my clients kind of respond in a creative and innovative way and finding new strengths within themselves, new interests in the face of things falling apart. And, you know, moving in directions that it's almost like what they needed to kind of find some a resource within themselves to develop a new to take themselves and their career in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of them. I, one more client just that comes to mind right now. He grew up in foster care. And at first, those weren't good situations, but then was taken in by a family that really loved him and cared about him and really gave him a life. And so his goal was, I want to be somebody who's in a position to bless other foster kids. And so he's done so much in his life to be able to provide that which which he and his wife do. And so, you know, it's it's taking that. You don't want anyone to go through suffering, but suffering so much a part of life. And when you can turn it into the compassion and the creativity to respond to other people's suffering, you know, there's so much beauty in that. And one of the things we've said on this podcast numerous times is, you know, the the suffering, the pain, the events that really disorient you. Yes. In a sense, give you a blank slate, you know, give you a a reset. Like, oh, now I can figure out what it is I really want to (laughs) do. Maybe it was, maybe before that event, I wasn't doing what I was meant to do or wanted to do. And this is giving me another chance. Absolutely. And I I think just as a, a part of that, that I think I see in a lot of clients is a lot of times the things that fall apart are the things that are a little more I don't know how to say it, but like validation based, they're shinier parts of their lives. They're like the idea about how you thought life should go or was going to go or who you should be or what you should look like in that process. And in some ways, when those things crumble, there's something more honest and kind of truer to who you are that emerges. And there's a kind of humility in it, a kind of compassion in it, but there's something a little more honest in it. And and so there's something richer in that, even though that's a hard process sometimes having some of the external appearances of a life or how we thought we would look or how we thought it would go it's hard to have those fall apart but it's it's worth it when something more honest and stronger 
grows in its place. And sometimes it's it's your purpose that is what emerges, your true purpose of who you are and who you what you are meant to do with this. that's right and you're more able to do it now because of your own wisdom that's come through that process that's right sure. speaking of wisdom uh, you know you mentioned uh, with regard to your critics if you're thinking about taking your life in a new direction you know to look at their you know the underlying motivations for mm. their do you have any other words of wisdom that you would offer people that are maybe in the midst of their own lemon and wondering what to do next? Maybe a couple things. One is just to not, I don't think it helps very much to pathologize the fact of the lemon. I mean, it's hard sometimes to forgive life or forgive ourselves for its imperfection. (laughs) It's easy to kind of respond to that with self-judgment or cynicism about the things that are not working or that have fallen apart. And, you know, there's some merit to that. I mean, we have, it's, it's okay to feel sorry or to feel grief, but I think it can help to understand that it's so fundamental to life, that suffering is kind of fundamental to life. I think Eastern philosophy has understood that sometimes better than Western philosophy has. I think the more we can understand it's a part of life and not make it a problem, the more we're able to kind of say, okay, what can I learn from this? What can I take from this? What can I create in the face of what I've learned about life through going through this process? The other thing I would say, I mean, I think if anything's going to dis disrupt any perfectionistic demand you have of yourself it's this process so i think that the the other reality is that if you can in some ways tolerate that it will be a messy creative process to innovate or to create or do something different i think a lot of times my clients feel sort of terrified of that like what if i'm what if this just doesn't go the way i thought and what if i just you know it's just a disaster and sometimes i say well plan on it in a way like (laughs) what if I fail (laughs) yeah and I exactly and I say on some level plan on it like you don't want to be headlong and foolish you want to think through things but on the other hand the way you learn is a lot of times by just being willing to take a step in a direction and once you've stepped into it then you're in a new position and you have new perspective at that point so you're able to understand do I take another step or do I want to step in a different direction and the it's the doing and the acting that often becomes clarifying. And a lot of times we're, we want to sort of sit back and imagine we can figure this all out from the safety mm-hmm. of thinking about it, where that act of doing is the, is the process of development within ourselves, within our, you know, whatever word it is we're trying to create. But it also gives us more wisdom and more clarity each step of the way. So I think for a lot of people, what they create, it's not that they had the full vision from the beginning, seldom. But you start moving, learning, and get more and more clarity and more development as they go along. Yeah, the ultimate destination might be a little blurry, but that's right. Taking those initial steps, and you know, one of the things I say in the book that I wrote that's coming out at the end of March is, if you start taking just baby steps, you will see other opportunities that you couldn't have seen without first taking those first steps. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And new opportunities come to you as well. I mean, it's like I didn't know I was going to be a sex therapist. I I just thought I want to do something about marriage and women's position. And I care about these things. And it's just it was actually, you know, I was asked to teach a sexuality course at Boston College. So it was like, 
you know, so I was then like, okay, now I have that because I'd gotten to a certain point, a new possibility came and that invited me in another direction. And that's sort of the path as well. And now you're a very popular (laughs) (laughs) coach and therapist uh, from what I see. So how can people learn more about you and what you do? What are some ways they can contact you or find you? The best way is just to go to my website, which is my last name, and it's a hyphenated name. So it's finlayson-fife.com. And on my website is my podcast archive and also a blog where I write things. And there's as well the online courses that I teach. And they're primarily for an LDS or faith-based audience, but they're very much teaching principles of living life well. And, And so they really are applicable to all but it's about how to be more at peace with who you are, how to develop your desires and develop yourself. Those are the individual sexuality courses and then also how to create an intimate marriage. So, yeah. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Finlayson Fife and the work that she does, check out the links in the show notes below to find her website, online courses she offers, information on upcoming events, and her free Facebook group.